1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: All right, Sixers fans, we're back with a new live stream. Joining me this week, Mr. Paul Hudrick, who's always on with me, and of course, our special guest, Jackson Frank. The Sixers up two games to nothing on the Raptors, got another, I don't want to say easy, but they did pull away after that first quarter uh, yesterday. Paul, let's start with you. Looking at the first two games of this series, and you guys remember, we talked about this last week, and we said, hey, you know, this is a series that we maybe don't like the matchup for the Sixers. Still, we're confident that they were going to win, but we expected it to be a lot closer. They had a big blowout win in game one, a 112 97 win yesterday. Paul, what are your thoughts of the first two games of this series, and why are things going so right for Philly?
2: Yeah, I, I am really surprised at how non-competitive these first two games have been. Um, and I wasn't that confident they were going to win. Like, I I, I thought, like, it, my prediction was they were, but I didn't feel great about it. Um, obviously feel much better about it. It's only two games, but feeling a lot better about it when you actually watch the matchups unfold. And I think that's a big part of playoff basketball is – once you see how the games unfold, you can get a better feel for the series because, and this is also too, why like the regular season matchups, you kind of throw them out the window in a lot of cases because yeah, the Raptors beat the Sixers three, one, but neither team was in the right. You know, they had both teams guys in and out of the lineup. Um, And I thought, I think the biggest difference though, jazz, when I look at games one and two of this series compared to, let's say the last two times these teams played in the regular season, the intensity level, like, the Raptors were playing like it was a playoff game in the regular season. Now the Sixers are playing like it actually is a playoff game when it is a playoff game. And I think that's been the most notable, no, noticeable um, difference. The Raptors, the big things they want to do, they want to create chaos, they want to create turnovers. That was what they were great at all, all season long. And then they're, they're long, they're athletic. They want to get out in transition, and that's how they score because their half-court offense isn't very good. The other thing they want to do because their half-court offense isn't very good is they want to crash the offensive glass. Well, through two games, uh, the Sixers really have, I mean, historic, I think what, three turnovers in game one, four, whatever it was, like historically very low turnovers. Um, they were still pretty solid in, in game two early on of the day, three early ones, but then rest of the night, they were pretty solid in that category. They've really limited the offensive rebounds. And again, because the Raptors aren't forcing those turnovers, they're not getting those fast break opportunities. So they're forced to play half court offense. And that has not gone well for the Raptors at all. Um, To me, the, and there's so many things that stick out. Um, Joel Embiid and just his patience and how he's really, you know, not gotten frustrated, not only not gotten frustrated by the double teams, but is like welcome them and is saying, okay, you're going to double me. I'm going to find guys in the corners that are, you know, you're flying off the corner shooters. I'm going to hit them. They're going to get wide open looks. Um, Then, you know, obviously Tyrese Maxey has been brilliant. I think James Harden has played a solid like controlled game. I think he's really run the team. Like he really has been a point guard. Um, And it's, you see the difference with all due respect to Ben Simmons, you see the difference in the half court offense, having him as a point guard makes Um, and having two perimeter shot creators, which the Sixers have never had ever. Um, uh, You see what that does. But to me, the, the biggest thing that stood out is Tobias Harris has been tremendous. These first two games, like, I don't think it's crazy to say these might be the best two like overall two way games of Tobias Harris's career. Um, timely, you know, timely shots, catch and shoot, not wasting any time, making quick decisions. Um, some pretty good plays as a playmaker, fine, you know, finding guys. I think he had six assists in game one. And then defensively, I don't know who this guy is. Like, this is not the same. And like again, going back to the idea of it being the intensity levels changing. Pascal Siakam gave it to Tobias Harris in the last two games. That has not been the case uh, through two games. And, you know, some of the strips Tobias ever, he's kind of snuck in and got a quick strip as either him or Ananobi or whomever got to the basket. I mean, just that's of all the guys and all the like X factors we kind of talked about to me, Tobias Harris is arguably the biggest through two games.
0: Yeah. And and Jackson, you know, looking at at Tobias Harris, and I was going to mention that too, is he's been, phenomenal over the, for, for the first two games and we talked about hey the guy's never going to earn 37 million dollars for his contract but they need him to be that third fourth guy and he's been been able to do that with maxi and bead really carrying the load offensively harden obviously doing a great job as a playmaker but jackson when you're looking at this from your perspective and paul you mentioned this there a second ago that the sixers are The ones taking advantage of the turnovers and getting some easy buckets and they're being able to run on on the Raptors, which we didn't see a lot. And we talked about the athleticism when we did the preview that, hey, these guys, it's not a good matchup for the Sixers in terms of the Raptors have the length. They have the athleticism, but everything's kind of went the opposite. So, Jackson, when you're looking at this and and even including Tobias Harris in there why why do you think the Sixers have been able to have so much success because you look at that first quarter Van Vliet at 15 points yesterday and it's like okay this is going to be a game and then from the second second quarter on it was just a butt whooping so uh, Jackson why do you think the Sixers have been have been able to take advantage of what we thought might be a weakness coming into the series
1: Raptors don't have enough hoopers no but uh but I mean like I mean that like tongue-in-cheek but legitimately they don't have enough guys you you feel comfortable creating and handling the ball like they and that's and that's where the half-court issues are. And the Sixers have guys in Joel and Harden and Maxie and Tobias, all guys that, you know, if you want to get the reductive Hooper basketball player type thing out, that they they fit some of the Hooper criteria. And and I think, just but generally speaking, that was what, what was interesting and maybe we all kind of, I think I was guilty but at times too, is we all talk about this Raptors defense, right, being such an issue for the for the Sixers. They, these teams have the exact same defensive rating in the regular season according to clean the glass, 1107 tied for 10th and I get it. Some of it's aesthetic bias. You see all these guys in the Raptors are long and mobile and can switch, but they just, they, they can't protect the rim. And they're, they're all, they're all crowding Joel and the pick and roll with Harden and Maxi's drives. And they're giving a bunch of corner threes to the Yang and Danny green and Tobias Harris and the Sixers to their credit are shooting 49% from three in this series. Of course, you know, you can't expect them to maintain the entire way, but if you're the Raptors, you can't just expect them to go 11 or 38 in each game moving forward. Right. Because they're giving a bunch of quality looks and you know, they're the Raptors are having a lot of lapses in overhelping or just like losing their awareness for a split second, Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam. they have both been guilty of it at the time. That second quarter was like a, a, a great example of a bunch of overhelping. I mean, the Sixers Danny, I think had what two or three threes in that stretch. And you know, Danny hasn't even shot the ball that well. Like Danny's been good. The defense has been impressive, but he's, I think five of 18 in the series, one of six in game one, four of 12 in game two. Um, You know, I'm not saying. He Danny dunked really, though, Jackson.
0: He like, did dunk. Yes. And that that's was. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I mean.
1: But like, and that's to say that like, of course, you know, Max is going to have at least one game where he's not, you know, average. He's averaging like 30 on 85% true shooting. That is not sustainable, but like. The the setting is is paving the way for a Danny Green game, like in just in the sense that he's getting a lot of quality looks from the corners and moving well off the ball, like where he has a game where he goes four seven five seven, and that hasn't happened. yet. He's played well. The defense has been really impressive, but um, it's just the, the size advantage the Sixers have and the the guys they can have that the guys they have to exploit the Raptors' aggressive defense is something the Raptors can't counter. They're they don't have you know Fred VanVleet was great in that first quarter, but it was clearly taxing, and he didn't have. The, I mean, I think back to that maybe late third, early fourth, where they got two wide open looks for Van Leep from three, right about the same spot. And the second one, he just left short. He just has to work so hard to create offense for this team. And he, he, he just, it's too much for him. He was just gassed by, you know, midway. And he was playing really, he was also very good defensively, I thought last night. So, um, you know, and, and Pascal was pretty good in game one, but as you mentioned, Paul, you know, whether it's Tobias or it's, or it's Joel Embiid, they're giving him a lot of issues. And I mean, you know, I don't know how many of his points came against George Yang, but I would imagine at least two or three of his buckets did. And obviously they rectified that quickly. That shouldn't happen again. I think that's showing that you can't have any minutes out there when, when Pascal is on the floor and Danny and Tobias aren't, Um, you know, at the very least if it is you have to put Joel on him and they made that change fairly quickly. But um, yeah, it's just like the, the Sixers have more guys who can create their own offense and they're bigger inside and they have good shooters and the Raptors have a bunch of hesitant shooters and guys who you don't really want handling the ball. Like OG and Anubi was great. He had a bunch of impressive self-creation plays yesterday, but he goes 10 of 14 to 24 points, 26 points. You lose by 15. Like you're in a tough spot. And obviously, you know, Scotty Barnes has helped break up some the monotony they had offensively. You hope he's available and same with Gary Trent. You know, those are two guys who are two of their better creators, but um, even those, you know, obviously Gary Trent was limited in game one as well, but, the, the Sixers just seemed like a better team, and I think too much even on our side we we harped on maybe where the Sixers matched up poorly with the Raptors, and we didn't look at the inverse enough. and And clearly, the the inverse has been where this series is skewed so far. Even acknowledging the the limited personnel the Raptors had to endure, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and it's it's been it has been a struggle. You know, being at the game yesterday, you're seeing the Raptors can't couldn't penetrate. And you guys mentioned that well that I think there's two buckets in a row that. Siakam had over Nyang, quickly switched Joel back onto him right away and said, hey, enough of that. But you're seeing the defensive, how good the Sixers have been at just protecting their own rim. They're not allowing the Raptors to get any penetration. When they are getting into the paint, the help side's been there. They're getting out and challenging the shooters. You look at Fred Van Vliet. He started that game four of six from deep today, ended up finishing the game five for 16. And you're right, Jackson. I mean, he just he looked gassed by the end of it, didn't have the legs to get those shots up. And we're seeing the opposite. We're a lot during the season, and especially when the Sixers played the Raptors, it was just very difficult for them to create on the offensive end. And we're seeing the Raptors killing them on on the glass. The Sixers have rectified that. They're not. They're getting more rebounds than, than the Raptors are. Paul, when you when you're looking at this, and and one guy, as you guys mentioned, has been super, super on it is Tyrese Maxey. 30 and a half points per game. Didn't score his first bucket till four minutes into the second quarter yesterday. Still managed to finish that game with 23 points. Uh, Paul, when you look at him and him just kind of growing up before our eyes, we, we, we talked about this back at training camp that, hey, they're going to need somebody to fill in the point guard spot. Tyrese Maxey became the de facto guy because he was really the only guy they had that was a guard who looked capable of starting. Now he's grown into this role of being a scorer. I think he had, what, eight, eight, uh, let's see here. Uh, Yeah, nine rebounds and eight assists yesterday. So he's doing a bit of everything. When you look at him, how do you think the Raptors are going to try and counter that going forward? Because they're paying so much attention to Joel down low, sending double, triple teams, being really aggressive on him. That's obviously opening things up for guys like Maxi and Harris. So how how do you anticipate Nick Nurse is going to try and change things around for game three?
2: Well, I would say first, I mean, Doc Rivers kind of nailed it when he talked about, you know, with James Harden as a rival that Maxi doesn't have to be a point guard anymore. And he's always been a score first guy. And now he's going back to that. And you're seeing how good he is when he's playing in that role, when he doesn't have to worry about, hey, everyone needs to be in their spots and I need to get us organized. Like he doesn't have to do that anymore. He can just play and he can play free. And I think that's the result of what you're seeing. But the biggest thing that sticks out, and we talk so much about Toronto's, like, like you said, Jackson, we talk so much about Toronto's athleticism and all that and their length and their transition. You got Tyrese Maxey's the by far the fastest player on the court at all times in this series, and you. Saw, I think that was like the third quarter. He just had like a couple baskets where the Raptors look like they were moving in slow motion, and he's going 100 miles an hour. And they have. He, he's just no, a way better.
1: Like we talk about the front court athleticism has an advantage. He's just a way better athlete than Malachi Flynn, Fred VanVleet, Gary Trent Jr. Yep. And that's a huge advantage. And that's I think mean, that's what we didn't really factor in enough.
2: Right. And I think too, like to your point about Fred Van Vliet, I mean, he's chasing that guy around for, you know, whatever, 30 something minutes on a bad knee already. And that's going to take away from his offensive performance. That's just the, the nature of it. And that's, you know, a little bit off topic, but it was interesting. Tobias Harris was asked, you know, with Harden here, with Joel Embiid, with Tyrese Maxey, does that help you on defense because you don't have to exert as much, you know, energy on the offensive end? And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And that was one of the things when him and Doc Rivers talked one-on-one, it was mentioned, you know, focus a little bit more on defense because you're not going to have to have this big offensive role. And I think he's really taken that to heart. So, But I think that's a big factor for Van Van Vliet and why he really didn't have the energy at the end of the game Uh, on top of being injured. Tyrese Maxey is 21 years old and he's just flying up and down the court. Um, That energy, I think, has been huge. And then I, I thought it was interesting after game one, you know, Nick Nurse had some comments about, you know, when he was asked why Maxi was so effective and it's basically their defense is not set up to, to defend a guy like Maxi. And if you look at the numbers during the regular season, Maxi was the one guy who did have a lot of success against the Raptors because mm-hmm. they're always in scramble mode because they want to create that chaos and they want to create turnovers. Well, when you do that, you have a guy in Maxi who is a, uh, you know, uh, over 40% from three. That's very difficult to scramble and find him and close out on him. And then if you're over aggressive, he's so fast, he's going to blow by you and then as you already said Jackson, they have no rim protection. So he's either going to get to that floater, he's going to finish at the rim or he's going to find someone and they're going to finish at the rim. So there's just to me like like you already said too like there's going to be a game where he's not going to be great. <laughs> um he might just be pretty good. But I don't see the answer the Raptors have for him. Um, especially if they're going to continue to play this way, which I think they have to, right? Like they can't. You're, you're not going to stop doubling and tripling Joel and B. Like you have to. They have to play that way in order to even attempt to slow him down. But the issue with that is that leaves stuff open for Harden, and Harden was finding favorable matchups. He was he was he was picking on Malachi Flynn all night. Um, and then that's also going to leave spots for Tyrese Maxey and it's going to leave spots for Tobias Harris. So the Raptors are really in a pick your poison situation. And I think Nick nurse is making the right choice to, to just constantly harp on Embiid beat because that's the guy who's going to, who could potentially go for 40, 50. So that's the guy you really have to hone in on. But um, it's, it's a credit really to me to Joel Embiid that Maxey is having this series because Joel Embiid is trusting the guys around him. He's making the smart plays. He's not turning the basketball over and that's as big a reason of any uh, as why Tyrese Maxi's having the series he's having so far.
0: Yeah. You saw like the, the step back that he had yesterday, a couple of the moves with the flow. I'm like, man, like who is this guy? You that know what a, I
2: mean? Like, that was like so hard and like shook Flynn a couple times and yeah, had, yeah. Him, like, had him like wobbling. Then he gives it to Maxey who does that. So I'm like, that's what I, I tweeted. I'm like, the Sixers never had this. What they have never had this where it's two guys, uh, guards that are just like, even like, Okay, perimeter playmakers. Now they have two guys who are elite at it, and it's 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 it like almost feels illegal to watch because they've never had it, especially in the Joel beat era. So, um, it, it's been huge. Well, going and if back I could to- just
1: if I could just build up like that, that three that Maxi hit over, I think, Kem Burch late in the clock, I think that was really like it was late in the clock, of course, but that's representative of his growth as a shooter. Like, I think a year ago, he's trying to attack get to a mid range of floater and like. Birch contested it pretty well, and that's not a shot that Maxi was comfortable with maybe even six months ago. Like, and he is just he just has so much more comfort getting his shot off against close defenders and trusting the jumper, trusting the setback, the sidestep. Just it's just really impressive. And, and I think, yeah, like I think the one adjustment maybe Toronto could make is play Harden straight up more. Like, you, you can't play Embiid straight up more, right? Like, you just can't, he's going to crush you. But Harden hasn't, sh- I think he's was he nine of 25 in the series, nine of 26 um has still been pretty solid I think solid was was a good good term for it, as you said Paul but like maybe just trust the to the precious or the Pascals to play him because they're shading so much help when he gets into his dance and his little rhythmic step back and then they bring help off of Maxi and Maxi just as we always say it's like shot out a cannon or he gets the open three and it's like it's like maybe you just play him straight up more and that's that's a way to maybe take away some of the Tobias open threes and the Maxi attack from the wings but yeah you can't take you can't play joel single coverage because he got a few attempts at that in <laughs> game two and was uh was very very comfortable in that in that uh situation so just wanted to note that the maxi three was very a particular one was very impressive of how far he's come in the last year as a shooter
0: well paul no, no disrespect to aaron mckee and uh, eric snow when they were playing with iverson i'm with you i haven't seen the sixers have two guards that are capable of doing this in a very long time Uh, Jackson you just mentioned that too that we might see like Nick nurse is a very good coach and I was in the in the room yesterday when he was doing his post game media availability still upset and took some shots at the refs even though from my vantage point if you're letting your guys get sealed, two feet in front of the rim, they're going to foul a guy like Joel Embiid who's 7'1", 280. You can't, you can't you can't let him get that position. And I think that's been the problem with how the Raptors are guarding him is they're just giving him that, that stance in the post where he's catching the ball and he gets the ball and he's catching it very close to the hoop. So when he's turning to shoot, you're going to naturally foul this guy. But we might see some adjustments from the Raptors. We thought we'd see that going into game 2. Like I said, they started off really well for that first quarter and then just went off a cliff. So from your vantage point, Jackson, and your technical analysis on it, if you were Nick Nurse right now, how would you adjust things going into game 3 against against the Sixers and actually being at home? Yeah,
1: I mean, I did like the adjustment offensively they made, more pick and rolls, keep it simple. Van Vliet, you know, found some success there, but as we noted, it was still he had to work pretty hard to make stuff happen and that that took a toll. Um I think it kind of the the only real like, I like I guess, like, like I said, talking about less overhelping, not shading as much against Harden because Harden doesn't have that same level of burst. Maybe just live with some of the step back three is rather than the ripple effect with the Tobias jumpers and the, and the maxi stuff. But other than that, I don't know, like, I think one of the things that I, that I maybe talked, maybe I didn't necessarily talk about it publicly, but I kind of had thoughts about privately. People talked about the versatility of the Raptors, but what they really meant is they have a lot of guys who can switch, right? Which is, it's a form of versatility. But there's not really another play style this, the Raptors can go to. They can't play big. They can't go to a guard-heavy lineup. Like this is kind of what they have, and they and they have guys who can guard different different positions. But there's not a general shift in play style they can try. It's just it's it's a limitation of their roster. And I'm not saying like it's I'm not trying to like you know, kill them for it, but I think ge- the general kind of versatility that was propped up by us and everyone about this series with them was overstated because there's only one style they can play, and that's get out and run, crash the glass, switch a lot, force turnovers. They can't all of a sudden play a bunch of drop coverage against Harden and Joel, or, you know, go big and try and really swarm Joel inside or try and exploit the Sixers lack of, you know, quickness on the perimeter and play a bunch of small shifty creator. They don't have those options. And, you know, and so that's where they're in a tough spot. I don't know where they go. I just, I think, you know, your again, your hope is that these Sixers slow down from three But as we've noted, the approach that the Raptors are adhering to is not conducive to that. They won't shoot 49%. The Sixers won't. But, you know, the Sixers have a bunch of good shooters in the rotation. And those those good shooters are shooting well. Uh, And so I don't know where they go. I think, you know, maybe some shooting variants and whatnot. Again, I hope we get to see a healthy Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. for game three. But the Sixers just feel like a better team. And and we had, like, you know, Joel was very good, I think, you know, in a lot of ways. And I thought he was really good in game one defensively and very good offensively game too. Um, we haven't gotten a huge Joel game yet. Like, I mean, 31 is what he averaged for. That's just a standard Joel game. That's just what he is. Um, we haven't gotten a huge Harden game. Maybe we won't get a huge Harden game, you know, as a scorer, but um, I mean, we haven't gotten a Danny Green game. Maybe that's too far a bridge is different than a Joel or Harden game, of course, but um, he's getting good looks. So I, I don't feel great if you're if you're Toronto and I don't know where they go. Beyond just you know the the variance of you know the ball bouncing their way a couple of times off the offensive glass or or whatnot um, benefit them because and then also I would say maybe the other change is being better prepared for the transition game because the Sixers are just, just destroying them in tra- transition. I was looking at the numbers earlier, cleaning the glass. Um, I don't know how many possessions they have, and so it's not a generally large sample. But per 100, the Sixers are scoring 192 points in transition in this series. Probably only have. 20, 24 possessions, so it's not a great, you know, way to extrapolate. But point being is they have just absolutely destroyed, and that's how they got back in that game after the Raptors were up 13-2, 13-4 in game two. Rand, Juel got some deep seals, got an n-one on that nice pass from Harden, got the n-one on the good pass from the Yang, that prompt pass. So that prompt pass, I should say. Um, so maybe that's another adjustment. But I mean, if if they're then then you're just kind of giving up on their whole half court thing, where they crash in the glass. So. Um, you know, it's, they're in a, they're in a spot where, you know, one adjustment probably leads to another exploitable hole. And I don't know where they go, you know, so, uh, they're, they're not in a spot you would like to be, but of course it's nice to be back at home. So,
0: yeah, we've we've seen that often in in the NBA playoffs where the team might give up the first two and they come out guns blazing in, in game three. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors come out really hot on, on Wednesday, but it's interesting. The Sixers, like it's been the complete reversal from what we saw in their matchups, throughout the regular season. As I mentioned before, the Raptors averaged nine more total rebounds than the Sixers in the games that they won. Now the Sixers are averaging three and a half more second chance points. So everything's kind of going backwards right now. But Paul, looking at this now from the bench perspective, and I noticed this when I was looking at the box score last night, is if this was a game that the Sixers lost, we would be sitting here and killing the bench because they only combined for 13 points. So we're seeing Doc go with a nine-man rotation, uh, obviously going with Danny. Maybe that was because Matisse not going to be available for games 3 and 4, but for continuity purposes they're sticking with with Danny Green in the lineup. But looking at the job Doc Rivers has done and for as much as we you know harped on the guy and then nagged on him and said he's you know he can't make adjustments and he hasn't done the right things. Paul, when you're looking at the job Doc has done through two games, what's impressed you the most so far from
2: his decision making? Well, certainly not being so rigid with his backup center and and putting Paul Reed out there and realizing that Paul Reed is the best option. Um, He's not a perfect option. Of course, he, he's still committing a lot of fouls at a high rate. Um, but I think defensively, you see the difference. I mean, there was a possession. Well, one of the fouls on Van Vliet was absurd. Like Van Vliet just ran into him and stuck his forearm into his chest and they called the foul on Paul Reed. Um, but overall, like it, it, there are just so many moments you watch a game and I don't want to crush DeAndre Jordan here, but like you watch what Paul Reed does and you're like, DeAndre Jordan can't do that. Like just flat out, he can't do it. Um, and it's no disrespect to him. DeAndre Jordan had a hell of a career. Um, he was a hell of a player. He was an all, you know, a, a defense in all, all you first know, team all right. I mean, all first team All NBA, right? First team All NBA. Yeah. Like this, this, right now, this is a guy who was, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but this is a guy who, um, <laughs> who had his, his his run and he was great. But it, I think that time has passed. And I think Paul Reed, again, not a perfect option, but the better option. So I'm, I'm glad to see that Doc Rivers, um, I don't know if someone was in his ear. I don't know if there was an influence there, but I'm glad that he, he either changed his mind on his own or listened to somebody else or whatever. Um, because you see the difference that's making. I think Paul Reed wound up being a plus eight, but he was like a in his first sin, he was a plus twelve uh, after Joel went to the They were down in the Sixers after the first quarter. Paul Reed comes into the game, they go up double digits. So, um, so uh, like I, I just think the bench. I, I hear like I, I think with the bench like you can't really look at it that way. The big because. The one complaint I heard about Doc Rivers, and I think it was a fair one in the playoffs last year, was he didn't lean on his starters enough. He didn't play his starters enough. Now, granted, um, he didn't have James Harden. Uh, He didn't have Tyrese Maxey playing at this level. Uh, You know, he didn't have Joel. Like, like Joel Embiid was in obviously much better shape last year, but he's in even better shape this year. Tobias Harris is always a guy who's played heavy, heavy minutes. But, you know, between those four guys play them heavy minutes because they're, they, they should, they're great. They're in good shape. Let them play. Um, And I think that's been one of the other things that I think has been good too. You know, there haven't been very many, very many minutes where one of Joel, I don't know if there've been any where Joel and or James Harden haven't been on the court. Um, At least one of them at any point. And if it was, it was in the second half when they had a big lead. And so I think, you know, I don't look at it necessarily goes, Oh, the bench only scored X amount of points. I think, the guys that have been, like, I think George, you can see he struggled. You know, we, we talked about his the matchup against Siakam. I think the Raptors' athleticism in general, I think, has been difficult for him to kind of deal with. Um, I think Shake Milton's been fine. He, he's been playing mistake-free. If the ball is swung his way, he's taking the open shot, and he's made a couple. Like, um, I think he's filling a, a fine role as that guy, as that ninth guy or whatever, um, just to, you know, again, not, you know, play – turnover-free mistake-free basketball take the shots that are there play solid defense um i think he's been fine um so i I think you know and a matisse i I actually i think matisse really was not very good quite frankly in game two i thought he chased way too much um and and, you know i I don't know if he was just trying to make you know trying to maybe be a little too aggressive trying to make too many plays trying to create too much havoc instead of just being solid and you know staying in front because he is capable of doing that um So, yeah, I mean, I'm very curious to see what happens now in game three. What that's going to be where I think we're really Doc Rivers' medals really going to be tested his rotations in his lineup and see what he does. Does he get a little funky and and put Paul Reed at the four? Does he just simply extend George Niang and Shake Milton a little bit and extend their minutes to make up for Matisse not being in the lineup? Um, I'm very curious to see, but I I think through two games – you have to give Doc Rivers a ton of credit. I think their offense is funny because he talked about simplifying their offense, but I feel like they've been more creative um, through two games. I think some of the stuff they've run, obviously that pick and roll with Maxi and and Harden has, has worked very well. It's created a ton of space for Tyrese Maxi, and it's part of the reason why he's had so much success. Um, that first, that and-
1: first play in the second half when Embiid got the lob. It's like they ran because it, it's the classic after timeout play where they run a duck in for Tobias, but instead they also merged it with the classic. Chicago action they run for Joel and, and Harden it was like and then all of a sudden the Raptors could do nothing that was a that was an incredible play merged it's, two pet plays into one and the Raptors had no idea what to do with it it was incredible
2: yeah the, the creativity and I mean I, I guess some of that too I give Doc credit but Dave Yeager is a guy who's always been known as a really creative offensive mind that throws a lot of weird funky stuff at people and um, you need that against a guy like Nick Nurse and what he does um, there was one play in game one Jackson I don't know if you remember but like Maxie brought the ball up Harden was at like the nail, and then Embiid was in the corner, and it was just like, "What is this? Like this is creative, outside the box (laughs) stuff that we haven't seen from the Sixers all season." And maybe Doc Rivers is keeping it close to the chest. I I don't know, but um, (laughs) if he was, kudos to him. He's playing some, you know, some some like four D chess there. Impressive stuff. (laughs) Um, But no, I I think through two games, you have to give Doc Rivers credit. I think he, uh, of course, it looks a lot better when you, you know, win games. So, you know, decisively, but I I think through two games, he's pushed all the right buttons.
0: Well, it's interesting. You said you don't know who's gone. Maybe somebody's gone to Doc's ear. What he's listening to, we know he's listening to the Liberty Ballers podcast network. So there's your (laughs) shameless plug right there. Don't forget to subscribe to us as well. Uh, Fellas going into game three now. How important is it, Jackson? Do you look at this from a Sixers perspective and say, go all out, go balls out, get the win. You got a couple days off. Don't play again until Saturday uh, after game three on Wednesday. Do you think it's important for the Sixers to kind of just go for it right now, get up three nothing, and kind of make? You know, again, it's not a guarantee, but I don't think how many teams have come back from 3-0 in the NBA. I don't think. I don't think has it happened yet. I don't think it has, right? Let's, B- let's it's not baseball talk about
1: blown leads in the dark, river. Let's not. Let's okay. Yeah, that, yeah. 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 Well, Yeah. That <laughs> would be
0: a new. That would be a new. A brand <laughs> That's new. Let's not low. send
2: that energy out there. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah.
0: We wouldn't be surprised if that happened too. If it did, don't get me wrong. But you're looking at this, Jackson. Um, if, if you're the Sixers, just go for the jugular at this point. Go balls to the wall. Try and win this game get up three, nothing. And then, you know, you should have the series wrapped up at that point.
1: Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's, that's absolutely the way to go. And I just, a few notes, you know, from, from Paul's, you know, talk about the rotation and whatnot. Like, yeah, that's one of the things docs and well all year is he's played his starters heavy minutes. Also kudos to Danny green for what, like, whatever is like, if you would have told me three weeks ago, that Danny Green play 38 minutes in a playoff game and been like a like a quite notable positive player in his role. I would have been like, like I would have been confused. Um post Siakam. has <laughs> reemergence the last two weeks, dating back to that first Toronto, that last Toronto regular season game, um, has been instrumental. Like, I mean, I we've talked about the like, slack, I've written about it multiple times, the lack of a fifth starter. That has not been the case through two games. The the fifth starter is clearly Danny Green. And that and that makes it easier. The fact that all Doc has to do is disperse. So Matisse I Think played 10 minutes in game two and 19 in game one. All Doc has to do is find 14 minutes across seven guys. That's a lot easier than 14 minutes across 20. 28 minutes across seven guys it's, it's way easier to do um and so i think beyond maybe the niang you know, beyond the having to guard pascal at times docs put all these guys in really good position especially the bench and with with re like you know even though he didn't do much in terms of like the box score or like you know finishing plays like he just gives a level of spacing that like john or jordan doesn't like he just he's a better cutter better rebounder the spacing just felt better in those minutes for maxi and harden when they took a big lead so just want to note those things but but yeah, I think I expect the Sixers to win on, on Wednesday. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's just a you know, game three. To, you know, we thought maybe that like look, I mean, the Raptors kind of came out with their best shot in game two, but the Raptors are a creative and skilled team. I expect them to continue to, to try things, but as we've noted, I don't know what the solution is, but um these playoff games and series are always random to small sample variants. And there could be a game where Maxi goes four of 12 and Danny misses all seven of his threes. And the same happens to Tobias. So, um, but I, I, that could happen, but I expect the Sixers to win this. They've been the better team with or without Gary Trent Jr. And Scottie Barnes being available. I feel confident in that. Um, You know, of course, for the sake of the Raptors and just, you know, enjoyable basketball, I hope those guys are good to go, but I, I don't foresee them, you know, influence in the final score definitely influencing the closeness of a game or competitiveness i should say but i think based on what we've seen through two games the sixers clearly have the advantage and that's i mean basically a testament to everyone involved like i mean just the coaching staff the players it seems like everyone's had their moment and i think that you you got to feel confident if you're them and a sixers fan
0: paul what about you what's your official prediction for game three on wednesday
2: yeah, you know, I'm getting this vibe in 2019 when they went on that run and they played B- Brooklyn in the first round. Uh, they had actually they – lo- they dropped game one of that series. <laughs> that was a weird, 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 weird series. And um, and Embiid was obviously in and out of the lineup, and he you know his knee was giving him issues. But um, they played game four in Brooklyn. They were up 2-1 in that series. They had pretty uh, – games two and three, they had won pretty easily. Um, but then game four in Brooklyn, it was like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and it was just – Really contentious, really hard-fought game. Jimmy Butler got thrown out because um, <laughs> it was a whole thing with with Jared Dudley being Jared Dudley and like pushing Embiid. So Jimmy Butler did not take too kindly that. And obviously the next – It was like a
1: Jared Allen foul. It was like a non. Yeah, it was. And I think it was,
2: it was called a flagrant. And so like they got it was, was, it, it
1: was. I can't remember if it was Embiid or Allen, but it was just it was just a hard foul. It was not. It, like, it, it was. It was Embiid.
2: Play. Yeah, clearly Embiid was not trying to hurt Jared Allen. It's just yeah. a weight disparity issue. I think there. Um, but yeah, so, and uh, if you, that was actually the Mike Scott game where he cashed out in the corner, hit a big three down the stretch. But I just, I remember that feeling and like Joel B was like otherworldly in that game. He was so, so good. And I could just feel like the Brooklyn crowd was really raucous and it was like a really tense, tight game, but the Sixers found the way to pull it out. And I could see game, this game three having that similar feel. Cause like you said, Jazz, I think the Raptors are going to they are going to be desperate. They are going to be hungry. They're going to make adjustments. They're going to do different things. If they have Barnes and they have Trent healthy, that will make a difference and make the game closer. And some in the shooting variants, you know, that will probably play a factor a little bit. Sixers aren't going to keep, like you said, Jackson, they're not going to continue to shoot, you know, damn near 50% from three for the series. That's going to come down a little bit. So I think game three will be closer. It'll be a slub fest, but I think the Sixers, just because they are a better team, because really too, like, other than like, you know, Siakam, Van Vliet, they have more seasoned veteran guys. And I think they just find a way to to scrape to scratch it out in the fourth quarter and go off three nothing.
0: And let's not underrate the the crowd in Toronto is, is going to be up for this one. And nuts, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure Joel Embiid going to get booed every time he touches the ball. And yes. it's going to be it's going to be, be entertaining lovely. and fun. Although, Jackson, I do have to say I saw a comment on our last YouTube thing that you look like prime minister justin trudeau and i'm starting to see the resemblance <laughs> right now i'm starting to see the resemblance right now i'm not gonna lie about that uh, before we wrap things up guys let's just look around the rest of the nba the warriors they're the the talk of the town when you look at at the basketball world their new death lineup with jordan Poole, who's who's emerging and, and i covered the team last year and you could kind of see the beginning of him starting to scratch the surface of his potential looks like that's starting to pay off now obviously steph curry back clay thompson draymond green going with andrew wiggins in that fifth spot jackson when you're looking around at the nba playoffs and specifically the western conference do you think the warriors have enough to beat the suns
1: yeah i i should preface so that's the one game i've yet to see i gotta catch up. i've seen game one i haven't seen game two but my inclination is it probably went the same as game one <laughs> in terms of denver's perimeter defense being pretty shoddy and Jokic just not being good enough to cover for that um i i don't know i i I definitely think that like, I've been a fan of the Warriors all season. Like I think I kind of was I stayed with them through the injuries and whatnot. I think based off the three games between them and Memphis so far, I think they're like I just feel like they're a better team than Memphis. Um, and so I think they could win. I don't know. I, I need to see more. I wouldn't be surprised. But um, yeah, I mean that 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 five man lineup is incredible. Four shooters, four guys who can put the ball on the ground as well. Plus, you know, are going to be the greatest defender of this generation and a very good passer. Um, and they've got solid enough depth, too. Um, you know, you don't need a ton, but they've got guys you can trust there as well. In um, stints, they have a, a good starting backup, whatever you want to call them, Kevon Looney, a, a backup starting center. Um, so, yeah, I think they could. I, I, I need to get deeper into the playoffs, to say for sure. But, I mean, the Suns are all also a juggernaut who looked quite good in Game 1, even though the final score is only 11-point win. They looked very comfortable. against guess the team that's been playing very well in New Orleans. So, um, I'd still probably lean Phoenix, but I... I think Golden State is clearly a tier ahead of everyone else in the West beyond Phoenix, um, and they look they look really good as you mentioned with those four shooters and playmakers around Draymond playing big minutes. And as Steph continues to get his legs back, they're they're very very lethal.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be that's gonna be fun to watch. And and I mean again, no disrespect to the Memphis Grizzlies who are down one zero themselves against Minnesota at the time we're recording this. But again, I mean seeing the Grizzlies. Warriors Western Conference semifinals and then a Warriors Suns, maybe th- that's going to be great for basketball. But Paul him back to the Eastern Conference, saw a great game one between the Celtics and Nets. I don't know what the hell the Nets were doing on that last play and how Jason Tatum got that open and was able to hit this Cinderella-looking, you know, twirling shot that he did. But looking at that series, um, what do you think about that? Like, do you think Brooklyn is going to be able to recover from that? And ultimately, who are you going to take in that one?
2: Well, first of all, the Warriors, man. I mean, the second half, there was some, like, globetrotter stuff happening. It was... Yeah. Wild like their offense, uh, especially with that lineup, is just it's like it's like James Naismith could never have imagined the game would look <laughs> that beautiful. Like, it's incredible to watch when they're really humming and the ball's really moving. Like, they look incredible, but um, yeah, I mean, the Brooklyn, uh, Boston game was amazing, it completely lived up to the hype, uh, everything about it, uh, except you know, I, I think the one thing that Boston did really well which is going to be really difficult to do throughout a best of seven is that they kept Kevin Durant pretty contained. Um, that's no small feat uh, to keep arguably the greatest scorer of the last, you know, whatever, 15 years, 10 years, um, you know, keeping him below 30, pretty d- damn impressive. Even though Kyrie obviously um, had a monster game. And yeah, I mean, that last possession to me, it looked like, I, I don't know what you guys saw, but I thought Durant kind of fell asleep. Um, he was he did, ball yeah, watching. It, it, I watching.
1: I watched it a few times trying yeah, to see what happened. Yeah. And looked it, like it he just, Tatum cut I think I think Tatum talked post game. He, he cut because he thought Smart was gonna shoot it and wanted to be in position for the rebound. And yeah. Smart made I mean Smart could have shot I mean he was four of nine from three. He'd earned that shot, but sure.
0: he made
2: the even better
1: decision. And
0: yeah, Katie caught, got caught, was... caught ball watching on that one. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah definitely. Yeah, it but happens. I, I I still I I think Boston wins it. I think it's gonna be there. I think you're gonna see more games like this in, in this series. There, it's gonna be a, a bunch of nail biters, but I think just defensively, the edge that Boston has, I think they and they have enough offense that they're going to be like they like between Tatum, between Brown, between even you know, Smart and his development as a playmaker, um, you know, between you know, the, the Horford and you know, some of the things he does as a screener, a roller, and a pop guy, um, the way Daniel Tice seals and the way he offensive rebounds, like they have enough offensively that you know to complement how elite their defense is, and I think that. They're just they might be the most balanced and maybe other than Phoenix, maybe the most balanced team in the NBA when you're talking about offense and defense, like what they can do. So um, I, I could see it going six or seven for sure. But I give the slight edge to Boston because I just again, I think defensively um, they are far and away the best defensive team in the East.
0: Yeah, that's gonna that that is gonna be a fun series to watch, and I mean, we all knew that was going to be a good one. I think we all anticipated Toronto Philly to, to be very close. Obviously, <laughs> haven't seen that through through two games, but again, two games in Toronto could could change everything around. Looking forward to seeing what happens there. Uh, let's wrap things up. I want to give a shout out to my hotel for the great Wi Fi connection because it didn't didn't flame out on me. So thank you to that. Uh, and before we do wrap things up, don't forget subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. We are there. Of course, Paul Jackson, and an entire team of writers at libertyballers.com have you covered Paul gonna be dropping a new episode of our new show it'll be coming up on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Uh basically just giving you a beat reporter's perspective from what's going on with the Sixers. The first one will be dropping tomorrow. And then Jackson will be back on Saturday with the post game. So don't forget to check us out there as well. That'll do it for this. Jackson, thank you for joining us. Or should I say Prime Minister Trudeau, thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh Paul Hedrick, thanks for joining us. Me and Paul are gonna meet up and, and, and enjoy some beers together here in a bit. So we'll see you yeah, in a chance. <laughs> Appreciate me on All right, thanks.
1: More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.
0: You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals,